are now tuned in to the Storm Tracker Podcast. Welcome back to the Storm Tracker Podcast. I'm Marcus Benjamin, part of the Rivals.com network. Here representing for CanesCounty.com. And this is our weekly segment where we call call it Scouting the Opponent, where we bring in a, someone, an expert, to talk about the upcoming opponent for the Miami Hurricanes. And joining me today, I've got John DiCarlo from Owl Scoop. From the Rivals.com network. Thanks for joining me today, John. No problem, Marcus. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Now, John has been covering Temple for over 20 years, so he's seen it all. And he's also seen it all when it comes to Philly sports and and Miami sports and and Philly sports has been in in a similar boat lately, John. I mean, Miami's, um, you know, basketball team made it to the Final Four, and unfortunately they lost, and you know, the hockey and, and, and basketball teams, Heat and Panthers, made it to the finals and lost. And, you know, Philly's been kind of in a similar boat. I mean, Philly obviously made it to the Super Bowl, lost there, made it to the World Series within the past year and lost. And even the MLS team, the Philadelphia Union, uh, mm-hmm. lost in the MLS Cup. So, John, um, what, what, what can you tell me and how can you help me with you know going to therapy for for probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think philly probably knew it had to pay some sort of uh sadness tax once you get a super bowl after a long time i mean the eagles hadn't won a super bowl before and they won it in 2017 so many fans up here like on sports talk radio the topic was what would you do to sell your soul to get a super bowl and it was so unlikely for them to win it that year with nick Foles, and then this past year you know, the Phillies lose to the Astros. And I mean, they, they, it was great. It was a great run, but they lost to the, the better team, even though it was, it was fun to go to game five of that world series. And just, you hear the, the, the cheater chants and uh, in the seats, I had to explain to my wife where the, the origins of where, of where that came from. And then I think I was actually covering a temple game last year and we're sitting in the post-game press conference and people were following the union game on their, on their phones. And I think they lost that one. And, and PKs. Hey, at least you guys might get, you might get an MLS title down there. I mean, like I, what Messi's doing. I mean, that game, that was huge up here when they played the union. I mean, that was just such a, such an event. I didn't get to go, but anybody who didn't know how good he is and just in sees like what that guy can do with a soccer ball. It's ridiculous. And then the Sixers are a mess where to, where to start there. I think even watching the finals and, watching the guy that, that left Philly, what a brilliant move for uh, the Sixers to not retain Jimmy Butler. That's again, another whole story there, but, and it's a huge, like I was saying to you before we started recording, it, it's a monster pro sports town up here. Um, sure. But I think it's, I think it's the Eagles are number one and everything else below it is one a, and to see what Jalen hurts did was incredible. And that was a heartbreaking, that was a heartbreaking Super Bowl And, yeah, it's been a, it, it's been a bit of a tough run, but the fans are great up here. And like I was saying to you beforehand, um, it's cool to see what's going on in Miami because I think the perception outside of the city is okay. How much do fans really show up? Are they just only going to games when when it matters? Because like I said, you've got you guys have so much stuff to do down there. The weather's beautiful, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's been, yeah, probably a lot of similarities. And even just seeing what Miami did get into the Final Four, I've had the chance to talk to Adam Fisher, who's now Temple's head men's basketball coach. And, you know, he was on Jim Laranaga's staff before he went to, to Penn State. And Jim Laranaga has been such a huge, huge mentor to him. And you got Philly ties down there with, with Wooga Poplar, um, you know, and, and Isaiah Wong. And um, so I was kind of rooting for them to, to do well. It would have been cool to see them, you know, win a title. But, yeah, similar cities and, yeah, a lot, a lot of people wondering what they did to deserve all the heartbreak. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I know about the perception of, of Miami, you know, sports uh, down here. It's pretty evident, but it's a lot of factors involved. I mean, yeah, it, it has to do with, with the nightlife and, and the heat as well. A lot of people don't want to sit in, in, in heat for mm-hmm. uh, hours, you know, 80 yeah. to 90, 90 degrees, and then humidity kind of makes it even worse. Yeah, And then there's a lot of transplants here, and Miami's a relatively young city, too. Um, yeah. I think I think people don't realize that. I mean, Philly is obviously one of the oldest. So you got, you know, great, great grandfathers that are, you know, fans of certain teams. And you'll be lucky, lucky to have a grandfather that's been a fan of of a team here yeah. for, for a while. And some of the teams yeah. are, are super young as well. The Marlins are mm-hmm. young. Panthers mm-hmm. are young. I mean, the Heat have been only been around since 88. Um, mm-hmm. But it's definitely a Dolphins city first for sure there you um, go they look good they look very very good so far yeah they look great so far but after that it's the miami hurricanes uh to be honest uh, mm-hmm. I, I think miami hurricanes uh albeit you, you don't see it in the stands as as much as uh for the you know games that are are not um let's just say prime time type of games right. or mm-hmm. stage type of games um, but Miami's Miami's fan base is is rabid when it comes to mm-hmm. the Hurricanes football team. Um, so uh, of course they face Temple uh, this mm-hmm. week. Um, just what have you seen from the Owls after three games? Well, what's your assessment on that? They're an improving program. I mean, Stan Drayton took over a total rebuild when he took over for for Rod Carey, and then if you if you go back. <laughs> Well, here's another Miami tie. You know, you know about the whole Manny Diaz thing. So many links yeah. between the two programs, and that was probably one of the most. And then Al Golden as well. Yep. Yeah. Probably the. I mean, the Manny Diaz thing was probably one of the most bizarre things I had ever covered because you know I was just talking to. I have a couple of student interns, interns, excuse me, who work with me. And I was talking to just about how good of a coach Mike Elko is, and he turned down the Temple job. It was offered to him. He turned it down, got a bump down at Texas A&M. Uh, if he takes that Temple job, he probably puts in two or three good seasons, maybe spins it into another job. But you wouldn't have had the Manny Diaz thing. You wouldn't have had the Rod Carey disaster. Rod Carey was good in his first season. And, you know, COVID was tough on Philly. A lot of, t- a lot of tough COVID restrictions up here, but they just weren't good in 2020. 2021 was a, you know, they were three and nine and they were terrible. So Stan Drayton, takes over and you know you go through the standard stuff where a new coach comes in and they're looking at guys on the roster and they're having those conversations with them where they say okay if you want to start it's it's not going to be here and we can help you get somewhere else and Stan knows what talent looks like he's coached in the NFL I mean he's the guy that recruited Bijan Robinson to Texas and so um and the portal hit Temple hard too because 
I think the coaches have done a good job at Temple going back to Al Golden of identifying talent. You know, they're not going to, on any given day, they're not going to out-recruit a program now with a huge NIL war chest. They're not going to get five-star guys, but they might get three-star or four-star guys who camp with them and they look really good, but then it's, okay, you got to, you got to retain them or, you know, a guy like, you know, they, and he's unfortunately hurt now, Richard Dandridge, uh, a wide receiver from down there in, in Florida. And I think Miami was sniffing around on him, but I think Temple's probably hoping, okay, I hope they don't offer, but so it's, it's, yeah. it's a rebuild for him. Last year they went three and nine, but you started to see some signs and EJ Warner, Kurt Warner saw and was a, a big hope for the program. So they're two and one now, but this, you know, this week is obviously going to be a huge, huge test for them. Last week was the very definition of a get right game. Norfolk state. I don't know how else to say it. They stink. They're not a good, you know, they're, they're a bad FCS program. They lost to Virginia state a couple weeks ago, a D two program. So, but temple needed it. You know, they beat Akron in the opener. They at Rutgers. And I still think Rutgers is probably a middle, middle of the pack, big 10 team. That's a 13 to six game or excuse me, a 13 to seven game late in the fourth quarter. And then the floodgates just open. So they've got some, they have some pieces for the future, but they're still young in, in other areas. I mean, like EJ Warner is a, is definitely something to build on at quarterback. They look like they have their running back of the future. Another, another kid from Florida and Jaquez Smith who played at Tampa Jesuit. Um, but the, the biggest challenge I think they're going to face this week is dealing with speed off the edge. They're, they're the left side of their offensive line is incredibly young. Luke Watt, they're right now they're playing a true freshman at left tackle on Luke Watson, who they like, and he's a good player, but at the end of the day, he's still a true freshman at left guard. They were starting a guy named Jackson Pruitt and he was struggling against Norfolk state and they benched him and brought in a, a walk on John Fagley who played well, Rich Rodriguez, their center has been banged up. He may return the right side of the lines a little bit better. Wisdom Quarshi at guard and Victor Stofel at right tackle. But you know, that you know they've got other issues on the field but you know at linebacker they're good their secondary has been pretty solid their receivers you know they picked up a, a couple of really talented Colorado State transfers Dante Wright at wide out and then Taiwan Francis at safety who kind of splits time at that owl position it's kind of like their roving linebacker safety hybrid so they've got some talent and they've got some guys that are really good and, and they've probably got a few you know I'd say probably several guys on this roster that have NFL futures, but the offensive line is really going to be a challenge for them. And, uh, you know, they're probably going to have to, I would imagine, play a lot of 12 personnel this week to deal with a defense that not only is just fast, but, you know, has defended the run well. And, um, you know, I mean, you know, Miami's 3-0, and and, you know, people can say, well, they've had a couple of easier games, but then they also beat Texas A&M, and they really played well against them. And just a tough time to be – you know, running into a defense that's only, you know, allowing it's a top 10 rushing defense. And, you know, it's uh, I think Temple has some pieces, like I said, moving forward. But this is going to be a super, super tough test for them on Saturday. Should be a, a challenging uh, game for for both teams just because it's Miami's first road game, you know, so right. it, it's that's always tough for, for any team. Uh, but. Temple did play Rutgers uh, recently, and this was a close game. And until mm -hmm. the, like the fourth quarter, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. So, I uh, just wanted to get your assessment on what happened from your perspective 
when the floodgates kind of opened, I, I guess, for Rutgers to kind of take that game over. Yeah, it, it, for, you know, and Temple had its share of mistakes. And again, some of it came from just this young offensive line. You know, EJ Warner was under a, a lot of pressure in that game. And he's, you know, when you watch him play, I mean, he's, they list him at six feet. He's probably closer to 5'10, 5'11, but he's kind of, you know, a proof of like, you know, shorter quarterbacks can play now if they've got the throwing lanes. And, um, but he, he just faced so much pressure in that game and they made their share of mistakes. But there it was, you know, 13 to seven, nine seconds into the fourth quarter. And the game was there to be won. I mean, if you're looking at that play there, there was a mistake on, on defense. They sent a corner blitz. I'm not sure why they did it on that play, but they're still hanging around against, I think, like I said, maybe a middle of the pack big 10 team. And then on the ensuing drive, right after temple makes a 13 to seven game, I think Rutgers responded with a, a seven play touchdown drive. And Kyle Monangai had six of those plays and uh, just really ran past them. I mean, that this play here, Ben Aswakey, a, a, a corner that they were pretty high on a Juco corner. He got beaten coverage there. And so you're looking at these, these plays here where Rutgers was chipping away at them and yet Temple was right there. And, and I asked Stan Drayton after the game, we went up to cover the game. And, you know, I said, what, what broke at that point? You know, and he said, well, we're not a broken football team. I think he kind of like misunderstood my question. And something just broke on that, on that drive. I mean, even that play right there, that was a gutsy, that was a gutsy call there on fourth down. That's Dante Wright, one of the wideouts I mentioned earlier. And, uh, but then after that, Rutgers just ran him over. And Temple's defense had been hanging in there and hanging in there. And something just just snapped after that. And, you know, a lot of, the, you know, Jordan McGee, who's their best linebacker, had said, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that you, you typically hear players talk about, our gap, uh, gap discipline wasn't as good as it could have been. And then EJ Warner's just trying to make something happen here. That was a pass that went through, you know, his tight end's hands. So it, it shows what's possible for them. They were hanging around. And uh, it kind of actually reminded me of one of the old school Temple games of years ago in the late 90s, early 2000s, where they would be hanging around against the Big East team, and then their opponent just kind of like turns on the gas. So kind of a learning moment for them. But yeah, you look at the 36-7 final score and think it was a blowout, and it was. But yeah, 13-7 to game, and something just kind of wore down. And then when they had to respond on offense, that, that offensive line is just kind of young and, and, and still learning. And that's, I think, what's going to make it challenging for them you know, heading into Saturday's game. You mentioned EJ Warner. EJ Warner is uh, the son of Hall of Famer Kurt Warner. So mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, some some pedigree there or 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 some some bloodline there when it comes to mm -hmm. football greatness mm -hmm. at the quarterback position. What have you seen from him so far? And, and what do you think about his potential going forward as well? I mean, he's, he's good. He's getting better. I think the challenge for him now is, and I'm sure he expected this. Now everybody's got film of him. They can scheme against him. He really is when you're around him. He doesn't bring up his father. He doesn't. I mean, if you ask him about Kurt, he'll talk about their relationship and he'll talk about, you know, how they'll, they'll study, they'll watch film together. They have a great relationship, but he doesn't, he doesn't drop his name a lot, but he really, when you watch him and when you're around him, you think to yourself, okay, that makes sense. He looks and sounds and acts like the son of a, of a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think 
I think if he was probably six two or six three instead of five eleven or six feet, I think he, I think he probably would have got more high major offers. I think he had Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, Temple. He had a good relationship with Danny Langsdorf, Temple's offensive coordinator, who had coached um, he coached his brother. But he really, really studies the game. He uh, he talks all the time. His teammates talk all the time about having to chase him out of the facility. You know, he's in there a lot. So he'll be prepared. I mean, I think he's probably, if I had to venture to guess, he was probably not only watching film of, of you know, their opening week opponent in Akron, but he's probably been watching film of Miami for weeks. And you look at this game against Houston last year. I mean, they lost that game, but the, he kept Temple in it because he could just keep throwing, um, throwing to to stay in the game. And so he's got he's got some pieces around him and, and Ahmad Anderson Dante Wright. I think they've, they've got to get their tight ends involved a little bit more. They've got some really good tight ends and Jordan Smith and David Martin Robinson. There's a, you know, Jordan Smith right there scoring last year against Houston. Um, so he's really prepared, but again, he's, he's just facing a little bit more pressure and a little bit more duress, particularly from that, that left side of the line. Um, if Rich Rodriguez can't go this week, he's going to be playing with his backup center in Bryce Tolman, but he's really sharp. Um, I think he's he's had a full off season now where he could spend a full off season in weight room. I wouldn't call him a dual threat quarterback by any means, but I think he's a little bit more comfortable running now and uh, and trusting the pocket. You know, he I think Temple's offensive line had some really good numbers last year in terms of fewest sacks allowed, but that was partially them and partially EJ Warner. You know, knowing when to get rid of the ball. But again, another you know a. a facing a secondary with some good closing speed with, with James Williams to Corey couch. And, um, but I think he'll be up, he'll be up for the challenge, but the key for him will be really, can, can they get Jaquez Smith going? Can this offensive line run block against a really, really good Miami defense? If they can pop a couple of runs and and give the the hurricanes something to think about, then yeah, then that, that could open things up for EJ, but yeah, very talented, very smart, very prepared. And um, this I'm sure will probably be the, the best team he's faced, uh, you know, they, they faced a really good UCF team with a ton of speed last year, but this is going to be a really, really good Miami team he's facing. I'm sure he'll be up for the challenge. And he'll, he'll, he'll be prepared for it. John DiCarlo joining me from Owl Scoop, part of the Rivals.com network, providing his take on the Temple Owls, the upcoming opponent for the Miami Hurricanes. I brought up this game because Miami's offensive coordinator used to coach at Houston uh yeah. you know last season so uh Houston of course played Temple he mentioned that uh yesterday during the press conference uh you mentioned the playmakers already on offense um so I did want to talk about this defense and what Shannon Dawson should expect on Saturday who are some of the the, the playmakers on defense that the Hurricanes should be weary of um at at linebacker it starts with jordan mcgee he's i I think he's got a shot to get drafted really talented linebacker really smart hard hitter you know pretty solid in coverage uh they do get leighton jordan back um a guy that i thought either might enter the draft last year or might get plucked had he entered the transfer portal um he's seen his production drop off a little bit in these first few weeks. He got ejected from last week's game uh, for targeting, but it happened early enough in the game where he'll come back this week. So he's a guy that they'll have to be 
where uh, they, they, they thrive a lot on simulated pressures. DJ Elliott was their defensive coordinator last year, and then they lost him a couple weeks into the spring this year. Nick Sirianni hired him to be his linebackers coach with the Eagles. So then Stan Drayton brought Everett Weathers back, a veteran college coach, veteran defensive coordinator. He's been a head coach before. So they didn't really suffer from too much of a drop-off there. So um, their defensive line up front includes a Miami transfer and Alan Hay, a guy who, who played sparingly down there. And he's been yeah. solid for Temple in the in these first few weeks. Uh, another Kentucky transfer, um, another transfer, excuse me, from Kentucky, Jaquavian Mahone. They're not going to generate a ton of pressure, I think, from their front three or their, their front three or front four, depending on how they're lined up. It's, I think it's just going to be bringing more pressure from guys like a Leighton Jordan, like a Jordan McGee. Um, sometimes they'll send safety blitzes like Taiwan Francis, who's been really impressive. So obviously I think anything that they can do to get Tyler Van Dyke off his game, again, that'll be easier said than done. I mean, you're talking about a quarterback who is not only can really throw it, but can probably sustain that first hit just because of how, how big he is. So they'll be facing a defense that I think is probably going to try to at times, you know, sell out and try to do something to, to, to force a mistake. And again, it, it might come from other areas on the field. You, you saw in that earlier Rutgers highlight, they sent a corner blitz and it did, did not work out for them. I think they learned there, but you know, a lot of simulated pressures and a lot of stunts and stuff like that. A lot of pre-snap stuff is probably what they can expect. And I think they'll try to be aggressive because they'll say, Hey, you know, this is, if you're temple, you're thinking, okay, it's our last non-conference game. It's a chance to knock off a top 25 team at home. We've got nothing to lose here. We're, we're a building program. And um, I don't think they're going to sell out irresponsibly and, 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 and uh, you know, a lot of zero blitz stuff, but that's how they'll, they're going to have to do it. You know, they, they, they know that they're going to have to try to force a turnover or two. They're not winning this game. They're not upsetting Miami without forcing at least a couple of turnovers. Absolutely. Miami will have to be efficient with the football um, and not commit turnovers in order to come out of Philly with a win and not commit penalties as well. I think this is a game where they do need to be efficient. I did want to ask before I ask you about your uh, prediction uh, or score here, uh, how are you expecting the crowd to be? Because Miami and Philly are kind of similar in the respect that they're, you know, they're college football teams or college teams in a major sports city. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and you guys are playing in a pro stadium as well, just like yeah. Miami is as well. So uh, what are you expecting kind of the crowd or the atmosphere to be? It's hard to expect. I mean, I could see maybe like the lower bowl being full at Lincoln Financial Field. And, and for for Temple students, it's like a 20-minute a subway ride right down Broad Street. You know, for years, um, Temple's fans wanted an on-campus stadium hasn't happened. I don't know what, whether or not it will happen, but yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when this is a pro sports town through and through the closest thing I could say to like when it was a temple year was, you know, 2015, they started off seven and oh, they beat Penn state. They yeah. played Notre Dame national game of the week. That was a great crowd. And there were a lot of temple fans there. It wasn't just, like your New York Yankees that, type of that, um, Al Golden uh, coaching that team. That was that was Matt Rule. Golden Matt was Rule. was had had moved on to Miami at that point. Oh, Al okay. was really, but Al was really the foundation right. of reviving the program. But since then, 
it's the, the temple fan base is, is fickle. And I I've said that to some fans that I know if they win, if they're winning, people will show up. They're not going to sell out the link. They're not, you're not going to see, you know, 60, 65,000 fans there. But if they lose some of the fans are like, well, you know, wake me up when they're good again. It's kind of that, that type of mentality. Again, I think they suffer from not having a campus on, on, uh, excuse me, not having a stadium on campus. And then, I mean, this was not to go too far back, but again, I referenced the big East years. This was a struggling program that was nearly dropped, almost dropped, hanging by a thread. And that's when Al Golden came in and was really the architect of reviving this. So it's been a while, probably since, you know, 2015, 2016, when they won a conference championship um, in 2019, Rod Carey's first season, they were still pretty good and still getting some decent crowds. But when they lose, the fan base kind of just goes up and down for this game. I, I could definitely see a good turnout. I think you'll see, you know, Miami grads and Philly and they're, and they're up here. I think they'll, they'll turn out for the game. I'm not sure how much the fan base travels, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun city to come to fun city to hang out. Um, I could see the lower bowl being full. I could see a crowd of maybe 30, 32,000, but yeah, I do talk to temple fans up here. I mean, like attendance numbers are down all over the place, but Miami is a similar program. Obviously they're in two different places right now. Miami is a top 25 program. Uh, They're in a, they're in a better spot than temple is right now, but yeah, you see sometimes when they're playing down there, they're playing Florida state, they're playing a blue blood program. It's packed when they're playing a Bethune Cookman or they're playing like kind of like, um, uh, a lower level opponent. Yeah. Fans are kind of just fair weather about it. So it's a lot of the same right. up here, but I could see a decent crowd. I could see maybe 30,000 fans plus, which is a good, that's a good college football crowd in Philadelphia where you have, it's not Miami, but there are so many distractions up here, tons of bars, tons of restaurants. The beaches are an hour and a half, two hours away. People will go there for the weekends and, or for the week. So Sure. That would be my best guess for a crowd to try to predict this fan base, but I'm sure you'll see a mix of Temple fans and Miami fans at the game. Good stuff. And lastly, I wanted to ask about your prediction for the game. I do this with every person that I, I bring on uh, for this segment, scouting the opponent. Um, Miami is a big favorite, obviously, uh, in this game. Um, but how do you think it turns out as far as the final score? I think it's going to be somewhere in like a – We'll, we'll do predictions on our Al Scoop podcast too. I, just off the top of my head, I think it ends up being like a 38-21 game, something like that. Like I said, I, I think Temple can flash here, um, but they're gonna have to they're gonna have to break a run or two from Jaquez Smith. And you know, maybe Jaquez Smith is playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder in this game. Uh, he had a really good career at Tampa Jesuit. He had some good offers. He had Cincinnati. He had some some solid offers, but you know, played down there in Florida. I don't, I don't, I don't think Miami offered him, but I'm sure he's going to be geared up for this game. Um, Alan Hay will be geared up for this game. Camden Price, who lost his job as a place kicker down there, you know, is a Miami yeah. transfer. So, uh, yeah. um, and he's been solid since coming to Temple, but uh, they're just Temple's not far enough along yet in the rebuild to win this game. The only way they win this game is if they force a couple of turnovers if they make something happen on special teams, if they're sound in their kick and punt coverage on special teams. But at the end of the day, I think Tyler Van Dyke and, and Henry Parrish are going to be a, a little, 
a little too much to deal with. I think it's going to be in the neighborhood of like, yeah, 35-21, 38-21, something like that. I think Temple can flash, like I said, and and make a few plays here and get some building blocks for the future. But everything would have to go right for them on Saturday to win. Absolutely. I think it's going to turn out very similar uh, to to how you predicted. I think it's going to be around a 44-20 type of game. Um, I think they're going to battle for the first half. And I think maybe similar to that Rutgers game, um, Miami just kind of pulls away mm-hmm. uh, in the in the second half based on, um, you know, their talent. Um, but uh, John DiCarlo, uh, ladies and gentlemen, he was great today for our segment, Scouting the Opponent. He is the publisher for Owl's Scoop. He's been doing it for many, many years. Definitely. Um, follow him on Twitter. You see his Twitter handle there. Also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, of course, on all platforms. Subscribe to this YouTube channel, Live from Canes County. And also subscribe to the website. Of course, you see it scrolling at the bottom there. Subscribe to canescounty.com for free. Use the promo code MIAMI30. Thanks for joining me again, John. Thanks, Marcus. Great doing this. Appreciate it. Awesome. That's going to conclude it today for the Storm Tracker Podcast. Until the next episode.